You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to episode 128 of Arsenal Pass. As always, Hayden Dale here with Brendan Patrick. Brendan, got to ask you a question. We're heading to Metrics for Bright Lights. Getting very close to release. Preview weekend this weekend, which we're going to talk about on the pod. But if you could choose where we go next in the Flesh and Blood storyline, where are we going Mm. after Metrics? Interesting. Yeah, as an actual location, probably the, the monastery. I don't know. I think it would be the back. Yeah, back. We're going back. Yeah, back. I mean, I, I think that's thematically is the coolest place for me. Um, that it's the one I enjoy the most. I would say Volcor because of Kano, but um, outside of Kano, nothing, nothing really excites me too much there, to be honest. Kasai. So, yeah, Kasai. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So probably probably to, to the monastery. Um, what about you, Hayden? Where would you go? Savage Lands. Try to get a, try to get a, yeah, get a little. Yeah, up, I, you need a little uh, ranger treatment on your brute, huh? No, I. Do you know what? I'd love to see Savage Lands. We go brute. We go Rune Blade. We go more of this kind of like more maybe like the mythical side of Savage Lands, like the kind of like a little bit darker, yeah, sure, but a little bit more mythical as well. So I'll tell um, you, I'll tell you, Hayden. Um, I think you. There's a lot of credence to being sort of a bitchy Kano player in Flesh and Blood these days, but there's a few of them, man. Reinar and Brute gets it way worse, to be honest. That that class has actually been getting the shorter end of the stick than I think than even Kano has. I mean, I would say, can't say Wizard because you know Icelander is. I mean, it's uh, that's that's Legend Story's baby at this point. Icelander's getting all the good stuff, but uh, yeah, man, Brute Brute took a turn that I think that both you and I didn't expect it to take. Um, you're looking at the, sort of the genesis of the class and the original des- the design philosophy around it. There was one aspect of the class design that we didn't like, and that seems to be the side that was emphasized and sort of they doubled down on, which was the the variance aspect and the rolling of the dice and things like that. What do you think? Yeah, as a I player. Do you know what? I think with the potential for Lexi, and we're going to talk ban spend it in a, in a moment um, and the impacts this might have for the end of the year, post bright lights, uh, very interesting announcement. But I think there's a there's a world where Brute becomes very, very good in the next 12 months. But um, we, we can, you know, <laughs> we can can digress on that one. Uh, but basically, I just think, you know, if the format's going to slow down, like there, there is a potential for Brute. Like what are Brute's worst matchups, right? Like it's it's Runeblades and, and Ninjas. And maybe Fire's going to be one of the best decks heading into the kind of the future meta in the next 12 months. But maybe it's not. And, and maybe, you know, a deck like Reinar or Olivia has a, has a place in, in the meta. So do you even enjoy playing <laughs> Reinar anymore? Um, I haven't in the previous few metas because of just the kind of way I think you've had to play it mm-hmm. to have any success. But um. Yeah, I, I still, if I could play it in the ways I want to play it, you know, more slow, more methodical, more setup based, um, get to play some more interesting cards, then yeah, I think it's a it's a deck. I, I kind of like Dick, Dick Up Dinner, for instance, is like quite interesting, right? Like that card is a very interesting card that we've, we've had recently. So, you know, is there ways to, to play that for more effect in this kind of slower kind of build runner? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, episode 120 of Arsenal Pass, Brendan, we're going to talk about no changes. <laughs> well, Kind of no changes. We've had a living legend and we've had uh, a band to a suspended change. But for Classic Constructed, there is no additional bans or suspensions on cards as we head into the Bright Lights meta, which we will talk about. Um, actually, I mean, we can flesh and blood. Anything you want to talk about? Or should we just get straight into kind of the news and, and what's happening? 
Not, I mean, in Flesh and Blood, this is like the perfect time to take breaks. If you want to take breaks in fab. This is off-season. Yes, yeah, this is off-season. Off so I've I've honestly been loving Lorcana. That game is really impressing me at this point. Um, it captures the essence of what is magic, takes out the annoying parts, but also adds the sort of depth and complexity, at least in terms of a skill expression that I think you get in Flesh and Blood. Like, it's super interesting because they put in... Mm. It's very easy to understand and play the game, but the systems that they've implemented in the game are so technical and so punishing so um i only say this to try to sort of empathize and attract more fab players because they can be a bit spiky um not as not as like uh, i'm not preaching this as a good aspect of the game but you can absolutely run circles around your opponents and it feels super good <laughs> in a game where you get to play with permanence and kind of get to express that side of maybe um I don't know, your TCG desires that you don't get mm. as much in Fab. It's, I don't know, it's just been a really solid, constructed game. I'm impressed with it, enjoying it, etc. cetera. Uh, outside of that, I have the Grand Archive tournament, basically like a calling coming up in two weeks, which I didn't know about actually until last night. And yeah, I mean, me and Caleb, um, Majin Bay need to, need to start testing because <laughs> we're going down to Houston um, to go compete in that tournament, which should be interesting. Apparently, their tournaments are kind of a shit show at this point. We talked about it, reminiscent of early Flesh and Blood days with the 15 to 16 hour tournaments and the sort of weird ruling scenarios that are going on, etc. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm kind of interested in playing some more Carnivore and um, how can I get my hands on some cards and then and, and play some of that game? Mm. Uh, you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, it. So brilliant. They, they, have a, they have an online emulator. It's created by a guy, I think that, you know, he kind of, I think, believe he came from Fab. Um, I recognize his name, but basically they have an emulator for the game that you can play online. It's called Pixelborn and it's unbelievably like, unfathomably well done like it's a great in-game client it's built in in unity but i mean it has like a leaderboard there's ranked and deck builder etc it's it's mm. fantastic so you if you want to play the game you can totally play the game if you want to pick no, no, up a cardboard i want to i want yeah, to play yeah, in cardboard yeah. well, i love to play my games in cardboard it will cost about it's the thing is is it, it will <laughs> actually cost about as much as a flesh and blood deck probably less but the difference is is that i promise you or at least i hope to god the prices should go like they should tank. Mm. So it's a terrible investment. But technically, you could you could play in cardboard for a similar price to in Flesh and Blood. I just, if you look at your your card game pieces as a uh, a financial investment, I don't recommend investing in Disney Lorcana. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, they actually came up. I saw some some Twitter threads coming up on Lorcana, Flesh and Blood. These things that always come up time and time again. And then I looked at my folder and I just looked at these cards that I've still been playing for the past four years. My tunic that I got, you know when I first started playing Flesh and Blood that I'm still using my, you know, all these things. So um, sometimes I I really reflect on kind of the early, like how Flesh and Blood has used uh, the system. And we're going to talk about rotation actually, Brendan, your favorite topic in Flesh and Blood and uh, the kind of banner suspended announcement because there has been an announcement about basically, I guess, more heroes entering more Flesh More rotation, and Blood. yeah. Which I think is important in Flesh and Blood. Like um, yeah, this, the sameness that we've gotten in the past few formats, few sets, uh, could potentially be mitigated by a faster living legend system. Living legend, um, oh, unequivocally has been the biggest shakeup to the game and to the meta and has mm -hmm. led to the most refreshing, um, you know, new class constructed metas in all of Flesh and Blood's history. It has not been new sets. It has been the Living Legend system, I think, in aggregate. I mean, you know, maybe Tales of Arms yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. In aggregate. Uprising um, so it looks pretty like, impactful, I think. But yeah, looks like they're gonna double down on the system, which is which is good. And it also potentially allows us to have a, another format in the Living Legend format as well, which would be cool. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, my week in Flesh and Blood. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the... This is my couple of weeks I'm definitely taking off Flesh and Blood. A bit quieter. Definitely have made a bit of content. Um, still been playing a few games, which has been great, but kind of, you know, not really focusing too much. Preview weekend this weekend as the pod drops. So super excited about that to see Bright Lights. I just can't wait to honestly play limited with Bright Lights. But then I do have Calling Taipei coming up literally the weekend after release so it's it's release weekend and then taipei is the weekend after which i'm going to so um you know would love to play something new you know we talked about it on the pod with sam last week we'd love to play something new and i have my eyes on something we are going to talk about the previews so far there's a particular hero that i have my eye on but i i don't know if we're going to get an adult version of that hero it doesn't doesn't look like it so uh but we can talk about that anyway first up on the news got to say a fond farewell to briar brendan you know it's been a bit of a love-hate relationship with briar myself personally uh mostly i loved playing lightning briar and i hated playing anything else i like playing tall briar related even though it sucked it was fine oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> earth tall earth briar yeah yeah uh so briar hits living legend officially and is, is gone so if you're heading to your armories this weekend uh you 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 know and you are playing class constructed you won't be playing with briar but, but it's been an interesting journey for briar you know getting stuck on that 998 or 999 whatever it was living legend points uh super interesting and then obviously really falling off in the meta and then, you know, effectively living on with like a cat with nine lives for like six months, right? Mm. Like it was kind of crazy, um, but not really having much of an impact in the format until, you know, Charles and and the team that he worked with for US Nationals playing this fatigue prior, also winning a couple other nationals as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Very cool to see the innovative list. Um, I mean, so co- completely outside of that, because I applaud Charles and um, his team and the people that played that version of Briar and take, you know, bringing a new take on the deck. Briar for me, definitely overstate her welcome you know there was a honeymoon phase i really liked the deck it was a fun deck um to be at the top and then pretty much pro tour allele was the inflection point where i was just i just i stopped liking it so much because briar briar is just not a super fun hero to play in my opinion because of how much variance is hinged on channel heroic and that just it feels not great to me maybe i'm just the kind maybe i just don't like those type of decks but that aspect of Briar is not fun to me. Also, Briar's just crazy with the f- the fridge that Briar has is ridiculous. <laughs> it's uh, I think it's like a a part of Briar that's not talked about enough. Um, we focus on the chain of heroics and the embodiment mm-hmm. tokens, all these flashy things, but you know, Briar being able to chuck a you know as much armor as it can uh, in front of certain attacks and be able to pivot off of that is just that it, it led to some pain points for me. Strong hero. I think it just. Just kind of pales in comparison to when you used to be able to block with a non-attack action for seven. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. cover up your full attack it's, for seven. It's funny that there was like this. It's always funny looking at uh, in retrospective at flesh and blood metas and the discussions that happened around them because it, it's been, happened multiple times where you've had these obscenely broken, powerful heroes. And if I transport myself back to that time, there was definitely people that were having conversations about that. You know, it's probably, it's not that good. It's not the best hero. And it's like, we can't even fathom being able to do that stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I mean, ultimate one. So I think just a little look back in history on Briar, right? You know, Briar is one of the heroes that's been innovated with the most, actually, which is, is really interesting. You know, it was this hero that kind of had a breakout at um, sort of Nationals weekends uh, in 2020, right? The mm-hmm. 2020 National season. And we saw uh, when in multiple countries with this Lightning Briar that kind of broke out. Uh, and then actually the weekend of US Nationals where it became known, Michael Hampton won his first calling, playing Ultim, kind of to counter that Lightning Briar deck. And then actually as the season went on, you know, pretty quickly, there was an errata change to Briar. And then 
you know, we saw decks like Viscerai, we saw Ultim yep. really cement itself in the format once people have worked out how to play Ultim. But then after that errata change, like Briar kind of like came up and down, right? And then it became this channel mount heroic deck as opposed to this kind of just insane, uh, I guess, aggro go wide damage deck yeah. or lightning of course that's a card that most people in flesh and blood i would say actually the most most players in flesh and blood have never played with ball lightning because of when that card came out and when that card was banned so that's it's that's a, super interesting it's a right? funky card i actually love i actually love the history of briar so it was uh lightning briar originally debuted at uh, the calling cincinnati at the pro mm-hmm. tour invite event via chris higashi um it was then played by matthew fox at uk nationals where he won with it on stream and it became extremely popular Tarek was apparently a part of the deck building process there brought it to u.s nationals eventually won that tournament but by that time the deck was relatively popular because it had been displayed on stream um mm-hmm. it was popular at u.s nationals proper but in the calling that happened the day after day one of u.s nationals it was obscenely popular because people are actually yes. deck swapping because it was so it was um so powerful uh and actually like you talk about that 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 weekend is particularly interesting because you know you can talk about u.s nationals and lightning prior etc but the most interesting things that happened to me were both not u.s players and not in u.s nationals so michael hamilton wins his first uh calling on old him and has a deck reminiscent of what becomes one of the best decks we've ever seen in flesh and blood you know he t- created like close to modern old him back then but also matt rogers takes that viscerai deck to top eight and that viscerai deck ended up you know sort of budding into the meta after that and that was the that was combo scalata viscerai um with sort of these general sort of mid-rangey value turns in between which became me and you uh hayden and i's favorite deck that was (laughs) i remember we went through the testing process a lot of testing after that event and i remember trying to uh find a way to tweak Matt's deck and make it better. And I, I remember there being a bit of an agonizing process because the list was really good. I have to give him props for that. It was a, it was a solid mm-hmm. list, but we, we saw so many critical things happen in the classic constructed history, like at that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that same format, I mean, that ended up being the same format for the nationals one that I had playing a Viserai list that, you know, very, again, very similar. I think like in the like 10 cards different that, that me and uh, Dan both played at our nationals, which was a postponed nationals uh, because of, you know, all COVID related things. But yeah, it was super powerful. And Briar was still making seven embodiments and still, you know, having ball lightnings in the deck at that point, which was um Yeah, and Chain, and not to hark on this too much, but Chain, Chain, had, around, Chain yeah. had recently seen a banning of Seeds of Agony actually prior to mm-hmm. that tournament. And a lot of people were approaching that first US Nationals as like, Chain is clearly, not, I mean, clearly is probably a strong word, but Chain seems to be still a very powerful aggro deck, but has it, has it lost too much equity into the fatigue match that still floated around in the form of um, Prism, um, even things like, you know, just regular decks that block three cards like Dorinthia, Reinar, they could fatigue you. Uh, and that was the big concern. Then you saw Michael Fang and the Hyperloops, they actually brought the chain deck um, to US that first US Nationals tournament and saw it very good performances with it so yeah coming off the back of the previous chain deck which was you know the necropotent your whole deck like 99 percent into fatigue and just like the best deck ever in flesh and blood for sure um all right little short history there moving on preview weekend is here as this pod drops we are entering the preview weekend these these new preview weekends the condensed sort of version we have these kind of lead-ins you know we've seen all of these expansion slots which has been very interesting and now we're going to see the set we're going to see the mech cards we're going to see the cards we're playing in limited we're going to see some of the cards that you're going to be trying to put in your your dash decks your max decks your tickle decks uh so it's gonna be very interesting 
Alcard is dropping on Twitter, uh, on the Arsenal Pass Twitter on Friday evening, US time. Uh, don't know the exact time. I think it's around like kind of uh, around 8 p.m. Central, uh, I believe. So make sure you check that out. It's a very interesting card, Brendan. It is. I don't know what I can say about this. Like, I was surprised to see the card type of this. It's definitely left me scratching my head uh, a little bit. Uh, so yeah, interested to see what people think when we drop this card. And just also interested to see what other people have that can potentially interact with this card because it has very interesting interactions, I would say. Definitely an interesting possessive pronoun you use to describe that card as well. <laughs> <laughs> should we, well, t- should we just tell you. people so that we don't leave them in the dark? Um, sure, go for it. Yeah, so the meme, <laughs> the meme, <laughs> Hayden got a spoiler card. I did not. I actually did not get a spoiler card this season. So that's why I'm, I'm making fun of him saying our spoiler card. <laughs> hey, what's mine is yours, my friend. <laughs> Maybe they just left you off the email. But anyway, that's on the Arsenal Pass Twitter. Uh, Friday evening, Saturday morning, Australia, New Zealand time, if you're in my neck of the woods. Uh, we have some uh, new videos up on YouTube. If you haven't checked those out already, they've come out with the past couple of weeks as a Kano Dick Tech. There is a Dromai vs. Dromai Mirror, calling it Masterclass Series. Let us know what you think of these series. Want to do more of these if you like them. So check them out. In-depth review of kind of playing that uh, Dromai Mirror matchup, which is my favorite matchup in current Flesh and Blood. So I uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, we have a giveaway, Brendan, actually. We have something to give away. We have entry to or tickets golden tickets as they're called whatever they've been called now these packages to the calling tie pay uh if you do want to get those uh those will be all you have to do is go onto twitter to find those so we'll be dropping those on twitter again this uh by the time this pod drops the giveaway will be up and it'll be closing on the saturday us time and being given away on uh by the sunday so if you do want to get in and get if you're you know if you're heading to taipei uh if you're in that neck of the woods or if you've already you know signed up but you want to get your you know recoup your costs whatever it is you can go and um into that giveaway for calling taipei again i'll be at calling taipei super excited wish brendan was coming brendan you got to come to an apac calling at some point we will get you over here honestly or- i could yeah that's the thing is like um i don't know if i told you about this but my flight to barcelona uh for worlds was <laughs> It's going via Alaska. Frust- huh? Frustratingly cheap, actually, and we'll talk about why it's frustrating in, in the future. Um, but it was like 600 bucks. Usually it's like 2K. What? Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> so I'm wondering yeah. if that extends to the rest of the world because you know, if those are the prices we're dealing with, I'll absolutely um, come down. Hayden, what does a golden ticket include? What is Great that? question. Thank you for asking because I definitely forgot to uh, say what that is, right? So uh, you do get full entry to Calling Taipei 2023. You get the Cold Foil Hero promo card, which I don't know if they've announced exactly what it is. It actually, it might be Tickle Boston. I'm not sure they've announced it yet. Uh, you get three of these side event coupons. Uh, you get the Fate for Scene, the Chinese Fate for Scene playmat, that beautiful uh, Chinese Fate for Scene promo art mm. playmat. And um, you get three, the, the Banneret promo packs, basically, which they're giving away as well. So for all you Bolton mains out there, um, yeah, that's what you get used to with these with these golden tickets. And one more time, how do people enter if they want to get that golden ticket? Yeah, go go hit us up on uh, on Twitter and uh, you'll see that. I, at the time of recording, we actually haven't put the giveaway up, but it will be there by the time uh, this pod drops and it will be closing in about 24 hours from this pod dropping. So make mm-hmm. sure you go and get in if you're in that neck of the woods and uh, you're planning on going to Taipei, like me. I've never been. I'm super excited, actually. I've, I've never been to, to Taiwan before. I've heard so, good um, things. Um... Yeah, I uh, I went to boarding school, 
Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I should tell the details on like whether it was disciplinary or not. Anyway, the people uh, I was about to say this tracks. Yeah, the two <laughs> people, the people my left and right in my dorm were actually um, from Taiwan um, for oh, wow. a couple of years there. So I've heard I've heard really, really, blood. Or? Nah, this was like ten. Years. <laughs> I mean, dude, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I've heard good things. I've heard good things about Taiwan. Should be fun. Awesome. All right, let's get on to it. Ban and suspended announcement. This has dropped. Now, Alice has, oh, dude, they've, they've been doing us solid favors recently. This dropped uh, more than 24 hours ago. So we've had time to, or about 24 hours ago. So have had time to digest this before we actually record, which is super friendly and nice of Alice. Do you remember the times where we'd record a pod, we'd submit the files, and then all of a sudden Alice would drop an announcement about mm, 30 seconds after that? Yeah, I actually didn't tell you about it, Hayden. I, um, I worked out a deal with Brian. Basically, no spoiler in exchange, he drops it on Monday now. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Full I'm down with this. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go through it quickly. So, as of this Friday, as we said, by now, once you hit Armories, you can no longer play a prior Warden of Thorns in Class Constructed. It has lit, hit Living Legend, and that also means Rosetta Thorn goes along with it into retirement. Uh, goodbye. Some will say good riddance. <laughs> uh, the other change as well is that uh, Bullseye Braces moves from banned to suspended until Lexi Livewire becomes Living Legend. So once Lexi has Living Legend, which looks like it's going to happen fairly soon, uh, Bullseye Braces will come back into the fold for all the Azalea players and you know for other uh, you know Riptide players, for instance, and potential future Rangers. Um, and then LSS, that's that's it. So there's no bans, there's no suspensions for Lexi, for Icelander, for Tomaltai, for anything that people might have been talking about in the kind of lead up to this band suspended announcement, there is no other changes. And LSS provide what I think is a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, explanation on on this band announcement, Brendan. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things that I want to call out and then let's we can kind of discuss our thoughts on the announcement overall and kind of what this means for, I think, the next three months of play, but also then the future of Flesh and Blood as well, because there's some interesting stuff in here. So uh, they address Lexi Livewire first, right? Obviously, you know, a, a dominant performance of national season, now very close to Living Legend. And um, Alice's kind of view on this is simply put, uh, something always has to be the best deck. And they feel that Lexi is one of the healthiest best decks we've had in Flesh and Blood. Uh, you know, there's variants involved, they say. There's still really, really big turns, powerful turns, consistency to a degree, um, which they talk about. So they talk about basically the reason for no Living Legend is really around kind of Lexi being the best deck and, and then wanting to be a best deck and feeling that Lexi is a healthy best deck. And then they uh, point out something which is, I think, uh, I'm going to say for a lot of players heading to the World Championships are going to really appreciate this. I, I know I certainly did. Uh, they say the critical question, when will the Living Legend check occur? And they say that the next band suspended announcement will be Monday, November 6th, which means that's 11 days before the start of the World Championships. Yes. And they also say in this announcement that the, the uh, barring anything catastrophic, this is a living legend check. This is not a banner mm. suspended announcement uh, for Classic Constructed at this coming time when we get to November 6th. Now, I mean, you know, they're not promising that there will be no banner suspended they changes. They specifically did not promise. And they got a, <laughs> they've got quite a trigger finger over there when it comes to trying to shake up the meta right before a big tournament. So Very true. No. But but yeah. they do say very clearly that the, the purposes is a living legend housekeeping when it comes to Classic Constructed format, which could impact, of course, Lexi. Very likely this looks like, you know, Lexi is going to living legend in this ProQuest season. It would be, especially with no changes, looks very unlikely that it would stick around. Uh, but the big question is going to be Icelander, right? Will Icelander stick around? Will it survive this ProQuest season? Or will Icelander follow Lexi 
Briar like into retirement as we head into the World Championships because obviously that would be a massive shakeup for the World Championships. Um, so that's what they've said about that. I'll just quickly go through the last things and then let's talk about this announcement. Blitz, no changes. Uh, they feel good about the Blitz format and the new changes to Blitz with the inventory format or the format that now involves inventory changes. Uh, they are increasing living legend points and this is another thing that I think is, is very interesting. The, I guess they, they point out that product development has matured significantly over their four, their four years so far. And I guess with the release of uh, new heroes coming into the roster over the next 12 months in particular, uh, they want to have a wider dispersion of Living Legion points basically. And uh, they've increased it. So now uh, it's four as opposed to two points per win for things like ProQuest, Roach Nationals, PCI events. Um, so that's very interesting, I think. And that means obviously more rotation, more heroes. Uh, and then there's some ultimate pit fight and commoner deck construction changes, uh, which I would encourage you to go check out. But they're basically just solidifying what this is. One young hero card, 52 card pool. So you now have the inventory like you do with Blitz and uh, you start with exactly 40 cards and up to two co copies of each card, of course. Um, and then yes, Monday, November 6, 2023 is the next ban and suspended. Apparently just living legend housekeeping announcement, but mm. Brendan, thoughts overall? Oh, you forgot to mention the, uh, I think the biggest part of the announcement, which is they said that they plan to have all of the sets moving forward be draftable sets. Yes. That's gonna uh, I mean, that, was... that's gonna excite you. I mean, I believe that it wasn't worded exactly like that. I'm paraphrasing, but that was part of the mature uh like the maturing and development is that moving forward they will be limited sets, it looks like. Less time. Yes, I was trying to find the uh exact wording in, in this. because um, that was something I'm just going back to it now. Uh, yes, here we go. So we're happy to confirm that almost all of our sets, almost, not all, but almost all of our sets going forward will offer the limited format gameplay. Yeah, and that, that is super exciting. And that's, I guess, the introduction of new heroes, right? They want to make sure with, with these limited formats, they're introducing new heroes. Obviously, we've seen old heroes come back in Outsiders in particular, but it does sound like, you know, the Living Legend points increase is a big part of it is because limited is going to be so pivotal to sets yep. coming in release for Flesh and Blood, which... You know, if they've got the resources to make sure that they're able to balance these limited formats and and accommodate testing all of these new heroes, that's phenomenal. You know, I think that's mm. a, I think my kind of view in the past. So I would say, like in the if we take the last twenty four months, right, in the twelve first twelve months, of the last twenty four months, I felt like maybe we had a lot of kind of new heroes coming in, right? And it felt like there was a lot happening, and then the second twelve months, it felt a little bit stagnant, right? And I think this introduction of potentially just more new heroes and a bit faster rotation on Living Legend, I actually, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I want to see a bit a more freshness. Thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. Like, uh, it's funny because you said, uh, oh, then, you know, if they're, if they're able to test them, like, maybe not. Maybe fuck it. Maybe they're just going to actually print more heroes, not have, not have no testing, but not, maybe not have something be so rigorous to the extent that it's clogging up the design process and preventing them from making these sets limited sets. Like, I think that we're seeing a, a, a shift towards a more powerful game and then willing to take more risks. I mean, Brian's kind of, like if you read through between the lines in our interview with him, I felt like that's part of what he was saying is that they were willing to take more design risks with, with flesh and blood and stretch mm. it a little bit more to make the game more exciting. And that's part of, part of that is making the game rotate faster, adding in more heroes, etc. So I think even if we do have a hero here and there, that's a bit busted. Like it's it's worth it, and it will actually make the the whole process a bit more fun. Because I like the eternal the eternal card game pitch of Flesh and Blood is like so romantic at the beginning, but the inherent flaws and baggage that come with it are something that need to be very precisely mitigated, in my opinion. And I think that we're seeing LSS start to do that because there is a lot that comes with that. I mean, we see where eternal card games have ended up in the past, and we've seen the baggage that 
flesh and blood has had to carry for the past one to two years, you know, with having sets come out like Dynasty, um, that just did nothing, right? Uh, like that, that's part of it. So I think, I don't know, I really think that Brian and, oh, you know, there's more people to the team, of course. Brian just happens to be the, the spoke person, the person that we interface with. Like they seem like they're going to, more towards this, you know, not necessarily magic fire design, but at least an echo of that philosophy. And mm-hmm. I'm all for it. I think. I, I'm on the extreme end of the spectrum where I think the Flesh and Blood would be a better game, like an actual better game experience, not a better game financially for any of you that are holding on to cards, but a better game overall if there was a, also a rotating format. And I know I'm a minority there, but this adds more of the essence of that into our current game um, with more heroes coming in with faster living legends. So uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 for me. I I would agree with most of that <laughs> to a degree. Yeah, I think more rotation, as I say, is something that I'm in favor of. But more limited formats is definitely something I'm in favor of. Like, I want three limited formats a year. Yeah. I want to play fresh limited formats every four months. Like, that is, you know, three to four there months. Is, I want to play fresh limited <clears throat> formats. Yeah, there is no downside to that. That is all upside unless the burden of making a new set um, limited playable hurts the yeah. design of Constructed. And if they, like Brian said in the article, which I believe was kind of what he's alluding to, maybe he said it verbatim, but looks like that they've sort of fixed that problem and they have... You know, they're able to create sets that can be balanced for limited and still, you know, create cards for constructed that they want to. And we don't have to go through this period of supplemental sets, which is like supplemental sets are great. We talk about Crucible of War being our one of our favorite sets. It's the original supplemental set. But when a supplemental set comes out and it doesn't hit, it sucks. I, I'm sorry, but it, it's it's a big dud in the game. And there's like there's not a lot to do. There's not a limited format, and there's not a lot of new ways to interface with the game. So it's like it's this balance of power that goes with that. But when you add the limited end, it is again all upside. It's good. Mm. Um, so there may be some tertiary effects that happen after that, you know, um, in terms of balance and things like that. But you know, from a philosophical perspective or ideological, I guess it's yes, two thumbs up. Very good. Yeah, I, I like supplemental sets, but I think Dust or Dawn is one for me that is like a, it's not a set I want to see again. I think the more I think about it, if they're going to do a narrower hero base, I, it needs to be limited playable for me. Like it needs to be limited focus so that you're giving something to almost everyone to a degree. I, I would like to see that, basically. So if they're going to do supplemental sets, I want to see it more in the vein of Crucible of War. <laughs> I'll even say Everfest. I, I think Everfest was actually... <laughs> You know, potions aside, items aside, uh, although maybe those would be relevant, uh, quite yeah. a quite a good set. So. Yeah, I think it's relevant when uh, when thinking about Everset to appropriately weight how much of that set was uh, pretty bad, right, with the items and stuff. But Everfest was yeah. great at shaking up the meta. I mean, it printed some it, really exactly. disruptive cards, and you know, it was you had some key playables. There was definitely winners and losers. <laughs> Uh, big winners and big losers but it had a footprint it had a footprint on the the game it was a good set i mean overall in terms of how it impacted glass constructor which was the design uh thesis of a supplemental Mm -hmm. set back then maybe not anymore moving forward everfest successful in terms of opening packs and if you're like plus ev it was i don't know it was kind of rough to open a bunch of potions which potions just from a uh just like a modern flesh and blood and just like the overall game design it's they're just not that good <laughs> they have to be overwhelmingly powerful to be playable because of the nature of them being no blocks so yeah mm-hmm. yeah deja vu stuff that card um all right let's go back to the top of and talk about basically no changes 
uh, of course, Briar leaves, but let's talk about no changes. What do you think of this decision by LSS to say, you know what, uh, we feel like the format's in a healthy position um, and we're going to let Living Legend take care of Lexi and Iceland here? Yeah, it seems like a, <laughs> a decision that would make some people happy and really piss off some other people, which I think is you've seen a little bit of that on Twitter. Mm. It's hard to get the general sentiment of this this announcement via Twitter because you know you do have some voices that are louder than others that might not be representing um, yeah the population as a whole. What are my thoughts? I th- honestly, I, I think that the 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 reasoning that Brian gave is solid, but. Brian has a way with words, and most of the things that Brian says huh? sound solid. They do. They do. They sound solid. Uh, basically, the idea behind it is that there's always going to be a best deck, and we talked about this already mm-hmm. a little bit, and Lexi is a best deck. It is the best deck, but it is a healthy version of what a best deck could be in Flesh and Blood. Like It has various aspects. It's not overwhelmingly powerful. I haven't looked has deep. Has bad matchups. Yeah. I haven't looked deep into the statistics, so I can't, you know, I'm not quantitatively backing that up, but based off what they said- the the ideology behind the decision is solid. Uh, what about you, Hayden? Because you were talking about like Pomaltai and shit. <laughs> well, that that was a Nick Bush special, actually, but I, I don't disagree with him on that one. That card's just kind of unfun, mm-hmm. honestly. If you The more I've played Dromine, the more I've turned one Pomaltai, my Elixir or uh, Ninja opponents into non-games is actually not particularly interesting. But um, I think the biggest takeaway for me, so that I think, I don't want to talk about this, I think there's two sides to this there's the competitive like hyper competitive there's the almost like the professional player right aspect and we can talk about what that means in a second and the ability to set out events uh, i think gives you a kind of privileged position and then there's the armory through proquest uh player and we're going to talk about the proquest season impact as well because i think that is is a large impact to proquest or <laughs> lack thereof actually uh, and then, but the outlier, right? The, the one that's kind of the spanner in the works potentially is what does bright lights mean? Like we don't know, right? So they make this decision and on the surface, we don't have any information about bright lights other than the few cards we've seen so far, but we don't know exactly what the impact of the meta is going to be. So my kind of view is that if you're sat there as someone like myself who, you know, majority of events you play, honestly, the majority of events I play are going to be callings, pro tours, things like this, right? Um, you know, but I, th- okay. So for me on in that situation, I think this is a great announcement. I think this means that we're going to have some clarity in the lead up to Worlds. It's going to be really clear if Lexi's going to, I mean, I'm just going to, uh, Lexi's going to Living Legend. Like I will, I will stake on this, right? Like, so I know for Worlds that we're going to have a check 11 days before Lexi's going to hit Living Legend. I'm going to have some inclination of where Iceland is going to sit in terms of the Living Legend. And we're going to have this brand new format for Worlds effectively, which I think is super exciting, right? With potentially two heroes, but almost certainly one hero, Living Legend and Bright Lights Impact. So there's going to be changes, right? That feels great to me, and I'm going to know, I'm going to be able to see it, I'm going to see it coming, and there's probably going to be no other bands, as Alice is saying, in the lead-ups to that. That feels really good for me. I feel like that puts me in a good spot. On the flip side of that, if I'm sitting there going, great, ProQuest season's coming up, um, I'm about to travel to, I don't know, a calling in Dallas, and I've got six ProQuests I'm going to play, for instance, sitting there in North America, all of a sudden, no changes. I just I now have to go through a ProQuest season in the exact same meta we just played, mm. potentially, because I don't know anything about Bright Lights yet. And I've got to, you know, continue to contend with Lexi, which I don't find enjoyable to either play or play against, for example. Uh, you know, that leaves maybe potentially a bad taste in the mouth, right? Like, do I want even want to be yeah. playing this season? It's, so mm. I think those are the two sides of it, right? And then the the thing that I guess is that that piece we we can't really say right now is what does Bright Lights do to this? Like my I'm hoping that LSS 
would if they felt that bright lights was going to make no impact to a format that has lexi and icelander as like maybe the two best decks or two of the best decks uh that they would make a change to allow bright lights to at least have some impact with probably still lexi being very good but you know maybe a slight nerf for instance leaves me thinking that alice's feel that bright lights is going to have some sort of immediate impact whether that's from the core mechanics of mechanologist or whether that's from uh what we're going to see with the expansion slots that's that's kind of my feeling on it but those are the three kind of things i'm looking at when it comes to this announcement yeah, I wonder if the two um, ways of interpreting it are somewhat split between the hyper-competitive player that is playing Tier 3 to Tier 4 events and the casual player, because I would venture to say, or if I was to put myself in the shoes of someone who went to an armory every single week and was looking at this ProQuest season, mm-hmm. I think that this announcement, if you dislike Lexi, which seems to be a pretty common sentiment among most players, I mean, it would be a pretty dis- it would be disappointing, right? Because I think that if, even if this even if the announcement it's a good announcement, it all makes sense. It is still a little boring. I think inherently, like you were, maybe yeah. you were expecting something to happen. You were finally I don't have to play against this deck anymore, and it's like, yep, nope. You're just, it's you're gonna get shit on a little bit more from Lexi, and it will inherently no rotate change. itself out. So. Yeah, unfortunately, we just live in like, we are in a bit of an echo chamber, both on Twitter and the people that we play with and hang out with of the people that play the the tier three to tier four events. Um, So I would, you know, if you're listening to this and you are a person that plays armories and is looking to play ProQuest and you do play against Lexi and you do hate Lexi or maybe you love Lexi and you you want to keep playing it, let us know your thoughts on the announcement because I think Twitter gets sort of drowned out by the, you know, the personalities or whatever. The voices. Yeah, et cetera. So, um, yeah, my biggest critique is that maybe the announcement's a bit boring um, and frustrating for people that were hoping that the the best deck would be sort of uh, neutered in some way, I guess. Yeah, but like safe and, and boring can often be just a, a good way to go, right? If you want to call it boring. I'm not even going to necessarily say it's, it's boring personally. Um, I, I think, you know, you talked about, I guess, hyper-competitive professional player versus like casual player. It's, it's not even just that. Like there's also this massive middle ground. There's like the grinder. There's the player who wants to be semi-competitive. There's the player who's like aspiring to get to the pro tour, for instance. Like there's, there's a massive group of players like that are potentially affected by this. And a lot of them, you know, I'm not saying all, but a lot of them will feel, you know what? I like playing Lexi. Like I want to play Lexi. I'm glad I'm going to get to play my Lexi deck for the next three months of this ProQuest season. Others will feel complete opposite, right? Like we just talked about. So I think it's hard to win in this situation if you sat there as LSS trying to balance the game. I think the view they've taken, right, is they have a clear pathway to what the post um, Bright Lights season, well, not even post the Bright Lights, but post, I guess, uh, this ProQuest season will look like, which is a world without Lexi potentially a world without Icelander and I think that opens up just future design space without having to potentially continue to manage these heroes in the format so I think they've taken the route that makes the most sense to them even if it does mean maybe slightly more short-term pain than they might have liked to have had but if I compare this to other formats previously like I think this is a good announcement like first of all I think the it just is specifically true. If you look at this national season, it's been one of the most diverse national se- diverse seasons we've ever had in Flesh and Blood. When you look at the decks that have performed, the decks that have won, top eight representation, uh, meta representation, like this is one of the meta representation is actually a little bit lower. Lexi has been very dominant in the meta, but win percentage, top eight percentage, this has been more diverse than almost any other meta we've seen except for early metas. So, you know, I think that's a big part of it as well. It's like there are a lot of options in this meta and, a lot, you know, Kano won two nationals, right? 
or one, yeah, won two nationals or won a nationals and came second in nationals. Like, you know, things like this. Dromai won nationals. Yes, Elixir won nationals. But, you know, we had, a, the, when you look at the data, actually, I, I don't have it on hand, but like Dromai had like a really good season, this national season. And there's a deck that's not even talked about that much. Icelanders there, you know, there's all these other things that play into it. So, um, and that again, bright lights, we haven't even seen the impact of bright lights yet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think that the the data, or at least like the meta representation aspect and the playability of not Lexi, not tier one decks is very apparent. Um, I'm just, uh, I reminisce of the US Nationals weekend where I did have more than one, and I would say quite a few players come up to me and complain about the current meta that they were participating in. Maybe they were just salty losers because they had just lost, you know, a match or something. But the the there was a giant projector screen behind me that was projecting the meta of the tournament, and it was ridiculous. Like it was super healthy. There was obviously Lex was the best deck, but there was like a solid top three, top four, even top five decks. And mm-hmm. like you said. Um, we have these outlier decks like Kano um, being able to win tournaments. And yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out where the angst comes from. Maybe it's just players getting a bit jaded as they play the game for two to three years or whatever. But yeah, it's, people just seem to complain despite the data looking, the data tells a story that the meta is in a great place or in a good place, in a good place. People are always welcome to have those complaints, right? And I mean, you're never going to have someone, you're never going to have 100% of people say, wow, perfect meta. Like, it's just not going to happen. People always have their favorites. They have ways to play Welcome the game. Welcome to Wraith, baby. Perfect. <laughs> you're not even going to get to 80%. Like, you're never going to get to 80% of people saying, like, feel good about the meta. Like, you're always going to have those people complaining. Uh, it's going to be different people each time because of the way, you know, some people might enjoy it at one time and then they're not going to enjoy the meta as much. And then that's going to ebb and flow, right? And that, that's just that's just games. Like, I, I've never played a game or seen a game where it's just everyone's been like, yeah, great meta, feels great, feels so balanced. You know, everyone's going to always have complaints. And in Flesh and Blood, as LSS and have pointed out in this announcement, there is always going to be a best deck in their eyes. Uh, that is just healthy for the game. We've talked about this at length on podcasts before about the health of like a best deck in a format um, and, and something to have a target on its back for the health of evolving metas. Um, but anyway, that that's the kind of situation, right? I want to ask you one more question. Uh, and I guess coming as a player who is going to the World Championships and for players who are going to the World Championships, what do you think of this 11-day lead time <laughs> for basically a new format so november 6th we're going to have a new format to some degree lexi's definitely going to be removed but icelander could also be removed how does that kind of make you feel yeah i mean so i guess more more flesh and blood history here so they did that at pro tour number one but they didn't do it it was different than this totally yeah, quite different totally different narrative <laughs> totally different tone but basically they were like hey we're going to shake things up for our enjoyment and the enjoyment of the streamer. Who knows? Because that was like... They announced it 11 days before. Don't the, worry about like... Yeah, all of the players were like, why the fuck would you do this? Like, not not super yeah. happy about it. Um, and they did that. And they really shook up the meta. And it was it was some big changes. And um, it, make, it definitely makes preparing for the tournament, in my opinion, less interesting. Um most of the time because sometimes it opens up a little window where you can do something crazy but the thing about uh these 
11 days. It's just not a lot of time. And you give, uh, you actually give a lot of advantages to certain players and you actually hurt a group of players that you probably don't want to be hurting, which is the players that are not connected to teams, um, are, you know, they don't have these big testing groups. They have less time off work, et cetera. So like it overwhelmingly benefits players that are, you know, they have like, you know, financial backing to be able to travel to these events. They're in big teams and big testing teams, things like the Wolf Pack. Um, and they're on the cutting edge. It's just like, it's more, it's such a win more scenario. Uh, we're sort of like the people at the top just eat, uh, when there's this, this very short notice because it, it punishes the average player so much, in my opinion, uh, most of the time. Um, so what do I think going into the, the world championship? Well, hold on. Okay. I can say that because mm-hmm. I, I would agree with you if that was the case, but that isn't the case. That mm-hmm. isn't what's happening here. Like, that's, I what, that's what I was about to say. I was about to say. Yeah. Like, I, I've seen this narrative on Twitter, right? It's like people saying, oh, 11 days is not enough time. You, you don't have 11 days. You have, what are we now? We have 60 days to work out you have two potential metas you have a meta where icelander is is, is there and you have an, a meta when icelander isn't there and you got 60 days to work on that yes so what i was going to say is that in the past like our the past example was not what brian said in this article it was like they decided to just shake everything up and they wanted to they wanted to make a, bu- a bunch of changes and the article specifically says that they don't want to do that. They want to be a living legend, uh, you know, a living legend update. So because of that, you can prepare for two metas. The issue is just like when you get into that 11 day thing and there is going to be cards that might be banned or might not be banned, you end up testing for like three, four, five metas and you have to figure out which ones are just going to be the most probable. In this case, it should be pretty clear, but they reserve the right yeah. and they reserve the right to make changes outside of that. So of course, of course, like, you know, and, and I would hope that that the, the reason they would pull the trigger on that is like the format just looks so unhappy healthy you know like bright lights releases and there's just like a broken tech loss of deck or something and they're like okay we just we have to we have to pull the trigger on this because yeah. even after lexi goes you know the, the shake up with living legend is is actually gonna make it worse not better uh, for yeah. instance i honestly don't even i if there was a broken tech lavasan deck or a broken dash deck i would hope that they would actually well i mean it depends on like how broken and how much it's dominating part of that but i really don't like if they would ban something like that you know, right before uh, like a best deck that came out in a, in the new set. Maybe it's appropriate to have a diverse meta if it was obscenely broken, but um, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the example I'm giving. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, you, you go through a format where Lexi and Icelander are there and, you know, there's this, this a deck that's just so dominant that it's just, you know, it's it's not enjoyable because yeah. the, the, this is going to be a new format. Like when we get to Worlds, the, you know, the November 6th announcement is going to almost certainly living legend lexi out of here mm-hmm. and then you're going to have a format that has no lexi like that is a very different format because lexi is still what it seems like going to be the best deck in this pro quest season so you're taking the best deck out of the format but you're giving people about 60 days notice of it to start testing and working on that but you're going to see for it i think this is honestly like this is such a win i think this is the best of both worlds you can have a completely new format for uh the best players in the world to work out and showcase on camera 11 days after the changes mm-hmm. but you're also giving them the the time and and upfront information to be able to like work on this regardless if you're in a team like i'm not in a big team and i i think this is a good thing for for all play you know for this for the game basically like i'm not what you just spoke about right well, like i'm yeah. i'm actually gonna be i'm gonna be sat in europe a week before working and i actually won't be testing in the seven days leading up to two worlds so the team the team really advantage is definitely the the previous example and not what is supposed yeah. to be happening um in this upcoming but if they decide to change their minds and they do what they did at pro tour number one then i will mm-hmm. i would hold my stance that it um just very much benefits a group of players that shouldn't don't really need to benefit um and it can be quite punishing but yeah so i hope sure. um, i would agree with you then yeah i think we have a we have a clear we have a clear landing pad here 
Um, and hopefully they just stay true to it. Hopefully they don't have to do any additional big shakeups on top of that. Because, I mean, yeah, uh, let's just say it. Players preparing for the world championship um, that are traveling, investing money, time, et cetera, into this, we would like to be able to predict the meta before 11 days, you know, more than 11 days in advance. That That is preferable. Mm -hmm. And this is a scenario where you can do that or you can, you know, reasonably account for, you know, potentially Iceland being out of there either, which Brian even said in the article is would be a mathematical miracle. So unlikely. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one though. That's like the, the two versions of the format, one without Iceland and one with. So, mm -hmm. uh, all right. I mean, it's an interesting announcement. Like, honestly, okay, I, like we always do this when they do banner spin announcements, Brendan. So, uh, grade them out of 10 on this announcement. Interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, first, you first. You first. Uh, I'm going to. Are you grading from your, your personal player opinion? No, or? no, no, no. I gave you, I gave you all the, I gave you all the kind of sides of the things I'm thinking about, right? I, I talked about the kind of the different player bases. Uh, I think I, I said not. I'm going to give them an eight. I'm going to give them an eight. I'm just, I think. Overall, I think they've done what they can with the current situation and, and looking at Lexi and, and, you know, I do agree with this idea of having a best deck and that Lexi is, uh, although I personally don't enjoy playing Lexi, I do think it's one of the better best decks we've had for the health of the format. But also at the flip side, you know, if I'm heading into ProQuest season and planning to play a bunch of ProQuest, um, I'm now less excited with this announcement. There's no, you know, unless Bright Lights really shakes it up, which is kind of the caveat to that, um, that that's a, a downer for potentially for the next sort of, what are we about to enter it so like six weeks seven weeks sort of time frame um but i think overall just with the situation and, and what this means for the next formats and the go forward position i'm uh, i'm gonna give it an eight I, I love the announcement about limited about oh yeah the well, hero yeah. rotation all of that are so i'm gonna put that? it on the whole 100 yeah. it's a full announcement oh, okay, right? so okay, on, the, okay. on the whole i'm gonna give it a, i'm gonna give it an eight okay well eight out of 10. yeah i mean it's definitely an eight or above if they're telling us that you know most if not all of the sets moving forward are going to be unlimited because that is i mean that's a big change i mean pro honestly one of the biggest critiques of flesh and blood is the cadence of content released it was pretty bad in the past especially with the covid delays or whatever happened back in uprising <laughs> um so yeah i would welcome more limited formats i think that it just adds such a better dynamic to casual play to the game being able to engage with the game every single week you don't always have to be preparing for some specific tournament you can play limited um and, and have a lot more fun or at least that's how i like to enjoy the game so i'll give them an eight at least and i'll probably just stick at eight because um I'm just going to copy you, I guess. It's just like, I, the only thing is like, um, I would, I'm just really interested to hear what the sort of, um, the player base that does attend weekly armories that is, you know, was looking forward to ProQuest, what they think of the announcement, because I think it's, it, it's borderline objectively a good announcement for professional players in my mind. I know you're going to see people on mm -hmm. Twitter's like really angry that our pro players are high level players, but I think that, um, yeah, I this, think they're wrong. this, yeah, I think this is a good <laughs> announcement for, for tier three, tier four event players. Yeah. I think it's a worse announcement for tier two, as I, as I say, but you know, I think the, the future looks bright <laughs> and hopefully bright lights, uh, makes it even brighter, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the second half of the main topic, which is talking preview season it is preview weekend as we drop this pod we're going to be about 12 hours from or even less than that from the time this pod drops uh no that's about right 12 hours man my, my math is bad about 12 to, to 18 hours after this pod drops we're fully into reveals you're going to be seeing a lot of cards uh hitting your way but at this point in time we've seen all of the expansion slots bring in four bright lights this new uh expansion slot in the set the first time we're seeing it and we've also seen hero reveals and we've seen a few cards also 
previewed slash spoiled because of things like um, armory promos and the like. So I don't know. Where do you want to start? Uh, Dash database. <laughs> so I'll read it off. It's a mechanologist hero, young, four intellect, 18, 18 life. Um, it says you may look at the top card of your deck at any time. Once per turn, you may play a mechanologist, uh, mechanologist item with cost zero or one from the top of your deck as though it were an instant. It costs one additional resource to play. Is it confirmed that there's going to be an adult version of the Satan? No. Interesting. So can we, can, should well, we assume? <laughs> Well, we get we know there's dash IO, right? We've seen the the mm-hmm. dash IO like hero kind of splashes and things like that. Whether like Prism in the previous set, you know, is the same hero ability, so dash IO and dash database, the young and old, because obviously they have to have different naming conventions because of they're already being young dash and a, mm-hmm. an older dash, right? Um, so that that could be the case that we do get a, an older version of the exact dash, but we could also in theory, get a dash IO that doesn't have the same hero text, right? So, can we just assume for conversation here? I guess I feel like you can do whatever you like. I, I will not believe that this will be an adult hero. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, this is the one that excites me the most, not because it's immediately powerful, but because I mean, this is kind of what Kano does. <laughs> uh, I think that alternatively, like the best use case for dash database is potentially in an aggressive dash cell where you can now play non mechanologist cards and you can look at the top deck look at the top of your deck before you boost so you don't have to you know immediately lose the game if you maybe boost like your one tome of Fienda or other cards you could be adding into your deck i think that might be the application this deck actually sees but ultimately what's exciting is something you know some sort of play pattern where you're able to get these items to the bottom of your deck or you're able to get enough value off of playing them effectively for you know, almost for free. You have to pay the additional resource um, throughout the game, and you can have some sort of combo deck here. I don't think those items exist yet, but they might exist. We have 200 plus mech cards coming out in the set. Uh, looking at the top of your deck at any time, that has not been done before in Flesh and Blood. That's a very exciting thing to do. It's a lot more information than we've ever dealt with. So I see a lot of people getting excited about this. Um, to be honest, on Twitter, it's it's definitely the most like the biggest shakeup in terms of hero design I think we've had in a long time. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've a, you know, you played a bit of Magic, but it reminds me of you know some of the things you could do in Magic. Like um, uh, now I'm future sight. The card future yeah. sight. Yeah, future sight. Exactly. This card. I'm I did not play Magic, card. but I know that card. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's a very interesting hero design. Obviously, you know, offset it with the 18 life, potentially 36 if it's a if it's an adult with the same templating. Um, I like it. I th- I, how good I think this is going to be. I don't think it's necessarily like a, a hero that I'm super interested in, but I can see it being very interesting. What I would say is like a lot of the hero design recently is very, is quite interesting. And it feels like there's a lot of, it's not clear cut how you should build them. I look at Vincent, I look at Prison, these sorts of heroes. Like it's not clear cut how you should build them. And it looks like there's more, um, there's more to be discovered with how you build these heroes and put them together. And I think that's that's an interesting way to flesh and, for flesh and blood uh, to be going like that feels less on rails how you should build and play these heroes right like if i look to previous heroes like whether it be something like Fi or starvo or whatever it's like they felt a lot more on rails as to how you should build and play these decks and and um some of the more recent heroes with their hero abilities they feel more complex like if i was to give them a complexity rating i would give this a much higher complexity rating than Fi's hero ability for instance right um or you know even even icelanders to a degree there's there's multiple lines of text on this and i i just think that's that's an interesting way to go this is not the hero that i'm most interested about that we've seen so far for bright lights but it is it is definitely interesting 
Yeah, this is definitely one of the most excited about, but it's not the most powerful, at least apparently. Like you, you just talk about your little Max Nitro. Well, I don't. I'm not even necessarily Max Nitro is the most powerful, but it's very interesting. So, Max Nitro is a mechanologist hero, young, one intellect, twenty health, uh, and says once per turn action, two resources, create a hyperdriver token with two steam counters on it. Activate this ability only if you've boosted this turn. And it says hyperdrivers you control get crank. And Crank's uh, keyword text is, as it enters the arena, you may remove a steam counter from it if you do gain an action point. So, um, and the hyperdriver token is just hyperdriver, but obviously as, you know, with, with Max, it comes into play with, with two resource counters on it. So it says, when this has no steam counters on it, destroy it. And once per turn, when you boost a card, remove a steam counter from this and gain a resource. So I think what kind of interests me about this, first of all, I actually thought this hero was kind of broken when I first read it. And then I thought about it more and realized that actually it's, it's definitely not broken. Um, it's, it's actually kind of balanced. I thought that like the hyperdriver also gave go again. Like I thought the token had go again, like the hyperdriver card, but it, it doesn't, the token doesn't have go again. So uh, if you do activate the once per turn action with max nitro, then you don't get go again, but you can remove, uh, you can crank it, right? You can remove a counter from the hyperdriver that you're creating, the hyperdriver token to get an extra action point. So uh, I guess kind of the one of the first things that popped in my head is like, you know, even at a base level, I could be pitching a blue, coming in with my zipper hit for five, boosting, and then making a hyperdriver off the back of it for future turns, right? With two counters to set up some really big, like disgusting high octane turns. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought about actually. Um, but I think there's even more scope beyond that. But basically having a hero mm. power that creates you this like mini teclo core right like creates yeah. gives you access to resources like cheating resources is really good for future turns right it's like it's almost like a mini energy potion yeah. that you're investing Why in is and it that's super again? exciting to me <laughs> it doesn't, well i don't know because potentially <laughs> potentially also this looks like it might it might be only oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. this doesn't this it, doesn't look like we're getting a, it does have 20 health. a yeah it doesn't look like we're getting a adult hero just uh from what i can see and down the comments correct me if uh if people seem to be finding something else but it looks like we're getting two adult heroes in this set and that looks to be tickle awesome which we've, we've seen and then dash io um so max nitro doesn't doesn't look like we're getting uh an adult version which you know I, maybe that's fine like maybe it would be too strong for for class constructed but uh it's it's a very interesting hero ability i think and i like this idea of being able to manipulate resources and but it, it, it you know might be too good i don't know yeah well, also of, it could be bad who knows nah <laughs> you gotta <laughs> boost though maybe you do have to boost to do this right so there is additional cost like your deck is against still a resource with playing a, a hero like this but it potentially just gives you a lot of flexibility yeah. to open up reminds me really of Vistra, to be honest um interesting yeah I yeah see. just so like you, you basically you're doing yeah. normal boost mechy stuff that's not a word and, uh, and gaining some yeah some, and then you're, you're uh, setting up high side. octane turns so you're creating these windows in which you're you're sort of popping off in between your your standard um the standard turns where you attack and you do x number of damage whatever your median damage is um, and then you're yeah. you're weaving in these big high octane turns um or uh, maximum velocity turns yeah that's, sorry that's that's actually <laughs> the card that i meant to say was maximum velocity okay. um yeah but yeah it I would love to play this as an adult hero. It would kind of be a buzzkill if all the if all the really cool hero design went to Blitz because I'm sorry, I just don't care about that format yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic that we're going to care about that format next year. Like, I, I hope... I actually think Blitz is a cool format and I've enjoyed playing Blitz at times, but also at times I've hated playing Blitz. I would love to see them put the, put the work into 
make that a relevant format for a calling level. Uh, you know, obviously we saw it at Worlds. I'm not necessarily thrilled about seeing it at Worlds, although I do like multiple formats at, a, at an event like Worlds. But yeah, um, calling level, for instance. Team, I, I want a team blitz calling. That's what I really want. But I want a good format for it as well. You already got one. All right, let's talk about... I know, I want another one. Speaking of this, right. Uh, Sonata Fantasmia. Fantasmia. Blade action. Yep. Uh, defense for three, blue, XX cost, Viscera specialization, create X rune chant tokens. If X is six or greater, target hero discards three random cards. Hmm. Is this card balanced? This card's bad, right? You said it was busted. I, I'm going to put you on blast. <laughs> First thing you said in the group chat was this card's broken. Uh, I. I, okay, I was like, this is a blue that blocks three that creates rune chance and looks like it could have could be a finisher, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a world where this card is kind of insane. Obviously, there's a card, there's a world where this card is ridiculous and like completely broken. And it's a world with Scalata, but um, there's also a world where potentially you know like this could be good. But just think about it, right? Like if you want to get to the six or greater, that's going to require you to put in twelve resources to it, right? So that's going to require this an arsenal yeah. and four blues in hand, for instance, right? And then what do you, what are you doing after that? um you, you know you've made room chance that you've, you could potentially time walk them that might be good enough like that's that's kind of where i see this card being at the moment like that kind of value mm. but then i started to think about like what if you have like energy potions in play and then you like ninth blade and, and all this kind of stuff and i think that's too gimmicky it's not powerful enough it's not good enough to set up this card is more of a i think this is potentially like quite good into like grindy matchups you know you get to the late game you have five blues you you play this and then you can set up kind of like some finisher turns afterwards yeah. with a bunch of room chance. I think so. this is a this is a great sideboard card. <laughs> I, I, I might be reaping this statement in the future when it becomes maybe <laughs> the most busted card. But as a sideboard card, like if let's say if you went into like an OG sort of fatigue olden deck, which they don't really exist anymore, but say it was fatigue briar, um, this is a great second cycle second cycle deck i mean you can absolutely pitch your blues together with this card and time walk them multiple times in a row and set up something like you said with that ninth blade um i think that this is i i like it as a sideboard card it has a lot of it has a lot of deck versatility to viscera unfortunately what's stopping viscera from being playable is um yeah it's not the fatigue yeah, matchups yeah. it's everything else yes everything <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think you can just play this card in the deck because it's a blue that blocks three, but I, I do, you know, it's going to have more impact in other matchups than... The cool thing about this right actually is you have so many interesting blues now. You can actually, you know, you could just have a 15-card sideboard that's just all different blues. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is quite a... It's quite an interesting hero. All right. You want to read us the next one? Yeah. Yeah, Intoxicating Shot. You, I know you want to talk about this. Uh, I it's put a, it on there, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's a range of action arrow attack at Majestic. It costs zero. It's at blue. It's a Riptide specialization. Attacks for four, defense for three, and uh, says when this hits a hero, they create a Courage and Quicken token. Okay. Is this card good? Um, I mean, it's a it's a very interesting card in terms of what it does, right? It's a blue that's a zero for four that mm-hmm. defends three. Um I bet it's a Riptide specialization. Is this a card that Riptide wants? I, I don't know. Like to me, I'm not a Riptide player, but when I look at this, I mean, actually, who is a Riptide player, right? <laughs> but when I look at this, uh, I'm like, is this the kind of thing that Riptide really wants? <laughs> is Maybe it, it going to push right? him over the edge? Is he finally going to break no, out? <laughs> definitely <laughs> not doing that, right? But it is a blue that blocks three and attacks a four, and, and that is that is cool, at least. I will, I will give it that. Yeah, I was just wondering if this card is like actual power creep. That was more- It is. 100% it is. It definitely is. Yeah, like but it's, it's tied to a specialization. Straight up power creep, which I, I think that as a case study, 
that's the most interesting part um, is that this yeah. card is legitimately power crept and what is probably the worst hero in the game. You know, really does. You know, Arachne and Riptide duking it out down yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, all right. Contest the minefield. Wizard action aura. Uh, majestic. Two cost. Blue. Blocks for two. Says all heroes get minus one intellect. At the start of your turn, destroy this. Yeah, so this is uh this is really what's gonna bring Kano into tier one um, or S tier. Okay. It's gonna be a menace of the deck. Uh, yeah, this card is unplayable in Kano. It's absolutely garbage. But uh, how do you feel about this in Icelander? Um, it's a block two that costs two. I don't know. That's so fine, you play you played like on your see- opponent's um. On yeah. your opponent's turn, they drop three yep. cards. So it, this is effectively. This seems. But why didn't I just play a damage spell from my arsenal? Like, you know, I, if I if my card from arsenal can be worth three damage, then it's probably worth the same as an extra card in the hand, right? It's unconditional. I think that's the difference. You know, so you can maybe set up your, you can set up windows if you need to. Um, the blocks two. Yeah, that that's a fact. That's a okay. Fact. You can set up windows for teach your ice eternal combos, right? Like maybe that's yeah. relevant. I don't know. It seems. And it doesn't seem good in Kano. Like this card, that card is bad seems like another one of those like wizard majestics that you forget exists. Like, um, what's the defense reaction at Majestic? Oh, Sigil Parapets or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I actually think this card is playable, and um, I think this is playable in Icelander. I don't know if it's going to be played in every matchup or if it'll be a sideboard card, but I could see this being used. Um, I think it's actually pretty exciting design space too, to be honest. All right. Okay, I'll leave it with you. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Heavy Artillery. This is a Mechanologist Action Attack. It, uh, we're looking at the red one, but it is a cycle. It costs three, attacks for six, defense for three, and um, it's an Evo upgrade. So this is a keyword. It says the defending hero can't defend with this. Sorry, the defending hero can't defend this with attack action cards with cost less than X, where X is the number of Evos you've equipped. So Brennan was getting all hyped up and G'd I'm, up about it's, this It's card. a boomer trap, bro. This this card is a boomer trap. But also it says, it says attack action cards. I can still defend with non-attack action cards. This feels like a limited card to me. Be like honest. this feels like a through and through like pillar of what we're going to yep. see in limited as a potential like finisher or good chain ender because I think we're going to have a lot of attack actions in this format. Um, and obviously Evos are important, but in Constructed, I mean, it's a popper at red. Like maybe that's relevant, but otherwise... Uh, yeah, I mean, classic. I mean, you get one every spoiler season where you don't read the card completely, and I did not see attack action cards, so <laughs> that's my one. Um, but Evo upgrade is exciting to me. I just hope that there is a yes. combo-oriented defensive deck. I want one of those to be back, you know, like a combo-oriented one. Not a defensive deck that runs you out of threats, a combo-oriented defensive deck, and I think that Evo upgrade... Uh, just it, it gets my juices going, man. That's it. That's it. What about? Well, you didn't talk about this when we talk about Max Nitro, because to be honest, it's not particularly interesting to me. But Nitro Mechanoid, right? The suit, the big mech suit with Max Nitro. Like, surely that is the kind of like the obvious comedic that's staring in front of everyone. Is like you get to just power out a, a Nitro Mechanoid very, very quickly because of his hero ability. Yeah, but is that is that like is that a combo like? That's what I wonder. Is like, is that just something you're just doing in your like mid range game plan as him because it just makes sense and you get a lot of value off of it? Um, honestly, Nitro Mechanoid deleted that card from my uh, my Rolodex of Flesh and Blood cards because oh, really, Di- dude, Dynasty is a black hole. It's a black. I hole. have Cold Foil ones. Well, good for you because I think they're <laughs> like 
500% up or something. Oh, I hope so. Because I have 500% overpaid for them. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Last card, Tickler Leveler that we want to talk about on the pod this week. Uh, this is a mechanologist weapon. It's a gun, two-hander, tax for two. Um, also, actually, just quickly, the art on heavy artillery I really like as well. And I'm glad they use that as a full art because you can see like the like the wrecked fence and it gives you this kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I like it. Anyway, Tickler Leveler. If you have one or more Evos equipped, this gets once per turn action attack for three. Two or more, this costs two less to activate three or more this gets go again four or more this gets plus one so i guess the kind of like best case scenario you got all your evos equipped you're fully mixed up you attack for three it costs one has go again okay let's go median scenario uh Sucks. you cost two it costs one Sucks and attacks for two it's no go again so above median well, I mean, median is a super subjective. Medians, it's a tickler. It's, 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 it's not a real. It's, a yeah, it's not, a, but it's not a real term. We have no idea how how easy or hard it would be to get evos yes. out. But looking at other cards, I would guess that it's not easy <laughs> because some of the evo upgrades are pretty good. So yeah. I think that it is not going to be easy. I think this card is probably bad. Probably well, bad. We but know how to. But if you know, there's that deck that the, the defensive evo upgrade combo deck. You know, it would. It would use this card. It would use this card for sure. Because you would have, um, you know, you would have Gogan on the, the three, one for three weapon. Not bad. I mean, we, we know how you, you can cast Evos. You can get them into play. Like, there, there is ways, right? Like, I think um, it might not be hard. It's just like, you know, how much of these decks going to suffer against aggro decks, right? That are just like putting on so yes. much pressure and you're trying to cast these Evos and stuff. That's the thing. But like, you know, when you've got time, you know, kind of, to set up and, and do these things the evos look kind of disgusting with what we've seen so far so i don't know and i'm sure there's gonna be other ways uh maybe a bit of a hint hint uh that interact with evos so um we'll, we'll see mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. i wouldn't know I, actually that that's i haven't even seen it <laughs> i literally have no idea but you know the potential of like as you get into the late game kind of grind of having this weapon that's like one for three go again once you're fully powered up like that that's that's pretty attractive anyway uh, I think we'll see. I like I like this kind of design philosophy on a weapon, though. Like starts, you know, flesh and blood is all about starting high and coming low, right? Like you start with your yep. all your equipment full. You know, you start full and you end empty, right? Yep. Like you know, you you use all your resources, you use your best red cards, you use your equipment, right? That is the philosophy of flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And evos are like complete opposite, right? It is start empty, end full, right? Like build up to having all these evos, having this crazy tickler lever that's attacking for, you know, three damage for one resource and go again, for instance. So yep. I like this contrast and I'm interested to see how it plays out and what it's going to look like in this game. I'm I'm actually, I was so unexcited for Bright Lights, I'll be honest, when it announced. I just, I saw the announcement, went, huh, and then kind of like, was like, I'm going to need to digest this before we record the pod. And that week on the pod, I think I was like, kind of like so-so on it. As the weeks have gone on and we've started to see things about the evos and some of these weapons and some of the cards i've gotten a lot more excited about bright lights particularly i'm super excited to play limited for this format yeah. um so yeah, so i'm excited about bright lights because well not because it's mech um only for the reason that from the cards we've seen it looks like they're willing to push design a little bit i think we've gone through this yep. phase of flesh and blood where design has been very cautious um, and I think that it's been more hurtful than beneficial. And I think that we are seeing a shift back uh, to, you know, taking some risks, which is great. I mean, we can ban shit. You know, we have Living Legend. Like, there's so many systems that we can implement. It's just like, I would rather have a new set have an impact. I don't want Power Creep, but at least have an impact. And we had like a few dud sets in a row where I was like, you know, and without Limited, that's that's pretty rough. So that, that's why I'm excited because, you know, the, the 
the first dash we talked about, dash database. That's, I mean, that's a crazy ability. Like that is a crazy ability. Yep. You know, the supporting cards might not exist yet, but they could come. They could come in this in this new set. Do you want to talk about Warband of Bologna? Or um, nah, we can we can leave it till we get to our set review. I think I'm interested to see like what this card will do. Uh, you know, it's a it's a light. It's the legendary we've seen right. Light warrior equipment head defensive two. Uh, has temper action to resources destroy it the next time you attack this turn you may charge your hero soul if it's a yellow card uh, you draw a card go again interesting for potential impacts on bolton combo but just bolton just getting a few little pieces here and there we obviously saw one in national championship um i don't know the art's gorgeous on this card though so good fan of that, uh, it's so good yeah I, that's I, honestly that was the first thing i thought i mean Flesh and Blood or Legend Story is like so vocal and uh, predatory towards combo decks like, you know, like Kato or just like any of these other decks. Like if Bolton ever becomes a playable deck, combo Bolton, everybody will hate that experience. It's terrible. Yep. That's, that's a terrible deck to play against. <laughs> My least favorite. All right. Uh, to round out the pod this week, we don't have a Commander Cookout, but if you do want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, do so. Uh, ArsenalPassFab at gmail.com. Drop in YouTube comments below on our uh, community discord or you can tweet at us whatever you want to do but we do something a little bit different this past weekend uh there was two battle hardens there was a battle hardened in italy and there's a battle hardened in the u.s uh, congratulations to those winners the battle hardened in the u.s was a team blitz event which is one of my favorite formats in flesh and blood and was actually won by a friend of the show uh marco who has been a long-time listener of arsenal pass and very kindly has done a i would like to say it's a uh, reporter in the field a bit of a recap on the event and uh just talked a bit about this kind of blitz format this team blitz format again a format that i think is freaking awesome and i hope we see more of so we asked marco if he could put together a bit of a, a recap on uh, portland and the weekend that was so check that out and until next time uh uh, where to find us, Brennan, quickly before uh, we go you, to the street. You tried to steal my job. No, I want to say that first. Both Marco and Charles Dunn, big participators in the Fab Fitness Challenge, avid posters, actually some ah, of the biggest posters. So, yeah. Marco I mean, had an amazing time. Yeah, Marco's yeah. been doing crazy. So, I'm not saying that, you know, it, it leads to success in card games, but no, the data's there. Uh, I just want to, yeah, I'm just happy those guys are seeing success in the game as well because they were great to be a part of the, you know, to have in the community. Anyway, where to find us? YouTube version of this at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass, Twitter, Brendan APG, Fian underscore Dale. Like Hayden said, there's going to be a giveaway for the Taipei Golden Ticket on the Arsenal Pass Twitter page. You just at Arsenal Pass, I believe. Don't quote me on it, but it couldn't be anything else. Um, just want to shout out all of the patrons. We do have the additional content up there with the deck techs. We talked about Kano and Jermai. I just want to thank you all for supporting. It does help us do what we do week to week and make it all the way up to episode 28. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. All right, throw it over to you, Marco. Take us away. Hey, everyone. This is Marco Marcelli, uh, one of the three people who took down the Battle Harden in Portland over the weekend. Uh, just here to quickly give a recap of the overall event, my team's preparation, and our decision-making in terms of who we were going to play uh, and the overall tournament run for the day. First of all, the tournament was run by um, a somewhat local store to us, so all three of us uh, play up in Seattle, but down in Portland, we have um, a store called Fab Foundry, and I believe they're also launching a physical store, uh, one of the first truly fab dedicated stores, at least that I have heard of uh, over here in the US at least. And they did a really awesome job organizing it. It was done in the hotel that was really close to the airport, so easy travel for everyone, located right uh, down in the lobby, so incredibly easy to get to. 
uh, if you were uh, flying in or traveling down, everything was run on time. Couldn't say enough good things about it. My team's philosophy on it wasn't really looking for some kind of you know team composition or some kind of balanced out you know group. It really was just finding what we thought were the three strongest heroes for the format. It so happened to coincide that they were all heroes that all of us felt pretty comfortable on. So Dylan Mangini was um, our Kano player. So we consider him like a specialist for Kano and Blitz. So the fact that you know he asked like hey, is Kano still good through Oasis? And we were like, no, he's still really good. And he was like, okay, that's great. That's all I need to hear. Uh, Ryan Biggs, our chain player, same same philosophy, uh, really in, has delved into Rune Blades in the past, has done really well with Rune Blades. And so the fact that chain is undoubtedly probably the best deck in the format is all we needed to hear. So that only left me. The problem was is that we identified two clear best heroes for the format in the form of Kano and Chain. We had a little bit of issue trying to figure out what the third best hero would be. And I don't really think there's an exact answer, at least for us. You know, we went between Dash, Reinar, Kasai, but we did, and also Prism as well. Both versions of Prism, I think, arguably probably could have been the answer, but I defaulted a little bit to a comfort pick with Dash. And we also did kind of think about, you know, on average, we assume that like most high level teams are probably going to have a Kano and a Chain in every single table. So finding a hero that felt comfortable in both, I think, felt like the best answer for the third hero. So for the f two heroes, you display the best deck. Uh, the third one, not having a clear, distinct answer, meant that you wanted something that was relatively okay into the two best decks. Dash felt really good into Kano, and Chain felt manageable. Going second gave you a big advantage. And also, personally, for my list, we ended up teching for uh, a fatigue plan in the sideboard going first. We had a good record for the day. We actually ended up doing pretty well. I think both Dylan and Ryan uh, ended up with eight wins at the end of the tournament. I think I had seven, uh, which makes sense being a slightly weaker hero, also having to deal with uh, specific like fatigue strategies. Like for anyone who watched the stream seeing top four, playing into a full fatigue Bravo uh, is a little bit difficult for the deck, but we expected that because Dash did feel like the weakest of the three, despite still being quite strong. Uh, just like quick highlights from the tournaments, um, I remember uh, Dylan round one played against a Fatigue Yoji that we repaired into in top four. So I played the Bravo from that team and I won uh, that game, lost in top four, uh, but the team won in top four. So we progressed to the finals. But in the first game, uh, Dylan pitch stacked uh, a Kano hand at the end of the game that I believe did uh, 60 damage. So that was really cool. On the flip side of it, in top four, I believe he killed the Yoji on turn two. So it was both ends of the spectrum, uh, you know, playing every single card from deck, uh, comboing out, and then just ripping off the top at the end. Um, Dylan ran pretty hot for the day, you know, really experienced Kano player. I think another notable moment was we put against uh, Michael Fang, Lucas Oswald, and Brody Spurlock, uh, their team. And I think he, unless I'm misunderstanding, killed Michael Fang as Briar before Michael Fang ever played an attack. So uh, those are some pretty cool, pretty cool highlights. So uh, Kano is still really good in Blitz despite Oasis. So don't worry, Brendan. It's okay. Dylan definitely got uh, the handful of the really cool flashy wins uh, from the tournament. We all uh, had really pivotal wins when we needed them. So there were times where I lost. I needed my teammates to win out. They were able to do it. There were times where it came down to me and I was able to get there. We were all really happy with each other's performances. None of us felt like we were lagging behind. And we all felt like we were really on top of it. Uh, throughout the entire day, even up until the very end, still playing really disciplined, really clean, 
Uh, I feel like the only mistakes that we may have made were probably from a macro decision standpoint. So sideboarding, uh, understanding of the matchup going into it. So specifically like rune gate chain was there. We were a bit underprepared for it. Uh, like I played against it, I think twice in Swiss and both times I learned new things about it, more things than I did when we were preparing. So there's always more stuff to learn. Uh, I think the format will probably evolve a little bit more, mostly just seeing what the chain lists end up like. But yeah, that was it for us. So obviously couldn't be more happy with the performance. Pankaj also taking down the PTI the next day. So really putting Seattle on the map, uh, despite it being in Portland. But that just goes to show the Pacific Northwest uh, has definitely got it on lock. Would be really cool to see more events out on the West Coast if that's ever possible. You can find me uh, at YouTube at the Tecla Foundry. Uh, I think by the time that Arsenal Pass has this video, I'll have a deck tech for my uh, dash list from the event. And then I'll also be able to link both my teammates list as well for anyone who wants to see those. I don't think my team has anything else to shout out. They're just locals to the area that really enjoy the game and like to play competitively. Thank you for having me on. Mm -hmm.